Welcome to Ips and Dixit, a podcast on legal scholarship. I'm your host, Brian L. Fry, Spears Gilbert Professor of Law at the University of Kentucky College of Law. My guest is Abraham Sutherland, an independent lawyer who works in crypto. So welcome to the show, Abe. Thanks, Brian. It's great to have you on. I'm really looking forward to talking to you about this. I've known you for quite some time now, but uh, I'm assuming a lot of my listeners haven't. So I wonder if you could start by kind of giving people a little bit of a sense of your own background, uh, what you've done in the past, and sort of how you became interested in the crypto and, and NFT space. Sure. So I'm a lawyer, um, but I've done a bunch of different stuff in law and out of law, uh, including I spent three years in Afghanistan with the State Department about 10 years ago, something that's been on my mind recently. Um, but in crypto, I just got interested in general and then ended up uh, focusing on part of my understanding of the, the, the economics of kind of the, the true decentralized nature of, of, of starting with Bitcoin and these networks focused on economic questions, which, which led me to a, 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 an important tax issue, um, which I focused on because of its concrete importance, even though it arose from uh, understanding how these networks work uh, at kind of like an incentive level. Um, and that got me interested in tax law and led to research and now a pending case uh, against the IRS to establish the correct substantive taxation of block rewards, by which I mean the new tokens that come into existence as an incentive for miners and stakers to help maintain these these networks without uh, any one party being in charge of it. So that that's what got me in. So maybe you could talk then a little bit about some of the particular issues that you've identified as kind of being presented in a novel way by by cryptocurrency by potentially by nfts uh like you could start maybe with the the tax issue that you mentioned like what's what's the sort of regulatory backdrop uh against which you're working here well that one i I almost am worried about going too deep into it but that 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 gets kind of the fundamental question of what is income and what is gain and and how our uh, realization-based income tax works um, you know, uh, these tokens are property. You know, what does that mean as, as, as taxpayers, but also the IRS tries to figure that out. And I, I almost want to save that maybe for another conversation. Um, but, but there's all kinds of issues, which is why this area of law is interesting because we have so much kind of uh, overlapping jurisdiction of, 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 of laws based on a, a previous world universe where um, things worked in a different way. And that leads to all kinds of questions about how to regulate. And that leads me to what I kind of want to focus on here and in the context of NFTs, which is um, a provision related to tax in a sense, which is why I got involved in it because it came to my attention. But in another important sense, has nothing to do with tax, not my other work on, on, on substantive taxation, like, um, you know, when, what, what gains should be taxed. And that's a provision that's in the um, current and still pending uh, infrastructure bill, uh, the $1 trillion one that, would, that passed the House in early August and is now still pending in, in the House. Um, and, and one provision there got a lot of attention, which was a, a broker provision requiring a, a, new, a new definition of brokers to report taxpayer information to the IRS. And that got a lot of attention. But I've been focusing on another provision, which is more consequential uh, to the future of digital assets. And I'm using the, the term used in the statute. Um uh, but w- didn't get the attention that it deserves. And I'm working on that now, uh, hoping hoping that people pay attention. And this provision is an amendment to tax code 6050I. Um, and uh, 
6050 is a 1984 statute regulating uh, in-person transfers of physical cash that occur within, within the United States. And that says that if you're in a trader business and you receive over $10,000 in cash, you need to fill out form IRS form 8300 within 15 days and send that to the IRS, including the payer's social security number and other personal information. And what happened in the infrastructure bill is an amendment to that, adding to the definition of cash under 6050I, the term digital assets and saying anybody who receives digital assets that meet the threshold and so on has to report on the other person. And this is a big, big issue and a big problem. And I think it was uh, dangerously overlooked. And that's what I've been working on uh, through through writings and other efforts to get attention on Capitol Hill, but also among kind of the public and people who are interested in crypto policy or even aren't interested in policy because we shouldn't have to be interested in that necessarily. Um, uh, people who, who, who aren't appreciating the consequences of this this new proposal. So what was the original purpose of this reporting requirement 650i? Um, how often does it come up and what happens if people don't comply with it? In other words, what are they, what are they expected to do? And if they don't do it, what happens? Okay. So what happens is, remember, th- this is a reporting requirement placed on recipients of cash. Um, and it has to be received in the course of a trader business, even though that's uh, that's an important issue because it's broader than people think. So when you go you know, a car dealership, gold seller, rug dealer, whatever, um, and you pay with more than $10,000 in cash, it's their duty to, A, verify your identity. They need to inspect your ID and, and, and get your occupation and other details as specified by the Treasury Department and fill out this form 8300 and send it in within, within 15 days. Um, violations can be a felony. And this is also really important because as a rule, reporting requirements, that's why this is such an outlier, even within the tax code. There's all this stuff going on behind the scenes, right, where the IRS leans on intermediaries and people who have information to get the information to make sure that you fill out your your 1040 correctly. This one's different in that it applies to end users, like businesses. Um, And it requires... uh, uh, oh, and, and 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 unique among these reporting statutes, violations can be a felony, right? The, the fines can be really stiff, and if they go the criminal route, it's it's a, it's it's you know five years in prison, right? Well, so I mean, why were they initial? Why was it initially adopted? Like, what was the goal of this provision? Like, and to what extent do you think it sort of satisfied or was kind of effective at achieving that goal, whatever it was? Right. Okay. So it, and it, this is also important for understanding, especially in how it'll what, what it'll mean for what it would mean for digital assets. This this, this was passed in 1984 as part of a huge tax bill, but it's really an anti-crime provision, right? The concern was with uh, okay, yes, uh, tax avoidance and tax evasion, but also uh, money laundering, you know, dr- drug crimes, drug cash, and so on. So this is a tool not for going after. Um, really the recipients, but more about the payers, right? It's, it's getting the information on people who are, who are out there daring to use large amounts of cash. So it's really about them. And, 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 and that's another part which is really unique about this. The information reported is not tax information. It's nothing specific about tax. All you report is a receipt. The tax consequences are irrelevant. So it's not like a broker saying, okay, here's the basis so that we can you know, calculate this correctly, or th- this is income or even revenue. It's just a receipt. And that means um, you know, un- under the existing statute, you- possession counts, right? You don't even need a title for it. If you're an intermediary or you have a custody situation, you might be required to report the receipt of this. So it's really all about kind of going against uh, 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 after crime in general. Um, the statute got attention, you know, it was beefed up and expanded in v- different laws, not having to do with tax, kind of big uh, uh, 
drug war bills in 1988. The Patriot Act Act in 2001 also kind of expanded it. So it's very general, uh, although it's because it's housed in the tax code, it was treated (laughs) as a tax provision. And therefore, it was slipped into this infrastructure bill as a pay for, even though it's quite dubious about kind of the, the, the extent to which it would raise revenue. In fact, I think the consensus is this provision is, is, doesn't pay for itself. It's used to, to track down criminals. Uh, um, yeah, it's parked in the tax code, but it's really a criminal statute. To the extent you know, like how frequently do people file the forms to report these kinds of tax payments? And like how often does the government invoke it in a kind of a, a regulatory or criminal context? I've been looking for better information on that. You know, going through the legislative history, there was a big problem after 1984 where people, you know, the feds were complaining that nobody knew about the law and there was mass lack of compliance and so on. Um, you know, there was one figure in the 80s that somebody I saw only 27,000 were filed in a certain year. Um, they were planning kind of high-profile crackdowns to, to increase awareness of, of it. So um, certainly it's gone down. I, I bought a car a few weeks ago. I paid in cash just to check it out and see how it went. Um, uh, the guy there said he, he'd been doing it for 30 years. It's, it's way fewer than before, but part of that's people don't pay all up front for, 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 for cars these days. But, um, so it's definitely down in, in that sense, it's kind of done its job. I, I, I don't know what was going on in 1983 in terms of the people paying and, and you know, $10,000 that hasn't changed, right? That figure comes from 1970 with the bank secrecy act. Uh, with the provision applicable only to banks, where the, starting in 1970, they, they had to report transactions in cash over $10,000. 1970, that, that equates to about $65,000 today, but that number in the statute has never changed. 1984, you know, that would have been like $25,000 today. Um, so uh, I'm still looking for, for, for better statistics, but it's, it, it is important. Like this is used for crime fighting. And in fact, there's other means I can get into on how these reports are shared by the IRS and FinCEN inside the Treasury Department. They can be sent to state and local law enforcement to go after uh, all kinds of bad guys. What was the rationale behind amending this provision to include digital assets? And if that were to happen, like, when do you think it would apply? Like, what kinds of transactions would it cover? Okay, on the first question, I almost don't want to speculate too much because it was so, in my opinion, egregious that this was put into an infrastructure bill. And uh, under normal circumstances, you'd have a statement, you'd have a committee report, you'd have an explanation of the of the evils to be addressed. We don't have any of that. Um, uh, and, and it strains credulity to think it was a serious effort to, to, to close the tax gap or help pay for this trillion dollars in spending. So I almost don't want to speculate too, too, too much on that. Um, as for the types of transactions, that's the problem. This statute literally does not make sense applied to digital assets, right? Um, if we had more time, I could d- dig into the kind of the, the words in the statute and the existing regulations, but it, it, it applies to receipts. And the assumption is absolutely clear that th- this involves two human beings handing physical objects to the other. So actually, the regulations don't even define what counts as a receipt. They, they define recipient. You know, what if there's two branches or one person, different parts of the company and stuff, but they don't define receipt. Well, in, in crypto, you don't need consent on both parties. You can send stuff to somebody else. And, and you know, w- w- what does it even mean? You know, if, if, what if you have a multi-sig situation with a two of three? Wh- who's responsible for reporting that? And again, this could is potentially a felony. So it does not Makes sense. And I could go into other examples there, but that's what raises this concern. The other thing is digital asset. And this, this is going to get us into NFTs is, is 
is so broadly defined. Digital asset is defined in this as any digital representation of value using cryptography and involving distributed ledger technology, um, subject to discretion of the Secretary of the Treasury to narrow that or do it or or even expand it. Actually, um, so on its face, that absolutely includes NFTs, and so that's something fun to talk about because this isn't just you know I think I don't think anybody. I don't know what they were thinking, but thought was thinking about how this would be used. One example would be like, oh, if Tesla accepts Bitcoin for the payment of a car, hey, shouldn't they have to report that the same way they already have to report it if they receive cash? But that's that's not um, the, the half of it because that's not how digital assets um, are used. And if you, if you if as the statute says, NFTs are included, the receipt of a, of an NFT is the receipt of digital assets, and it is obligatory for that recipient to verify and report the social security number and other personal information of the payer. And again, that payer may not exist, especially if we get in beyond NFTs into things like uh, decentralized finance and the way different smart contracts actually work. The statute says you need to give the name, address, and um, tax ID number of the payer. What if there is no payer? So um, there's all kinds of these elements that weren't uh, examined, leading to impossibility of com- uh, of compliance, and in any case, tremendous discretion uh, to the Treasury to enforce what's ultimately a felony provision. So maybe you could give s- some examples of particular kinds of transactions that take place in the kind of cryptocurrency space that would be subject to the to this provision, if if adopted, um, and describe sort of what it would look like to try to comply. I mean, that's the thing we don't know. I mean, basically, it's saying you can't accept. Pay- it doesn't even have to be a payment. But you uh, can't accept um, digital assets without. And again, it's uh, the regulations are clear about verification. The assumption is you can look at somebody's ID. We have ways of doing that. Banks have ways of doing that now about KY. You know, this whole KYC world, but what counts as um, a receipt? And again, it's, it's important that, you know, the tax consequences are irrelevant, but here, I'm going to, I'm going to, we'll, we'll illustrate, we're going to make it concrete, but I'm going to, th- I'm going to surprise you with something here. Um, so a little diversion, but this is all toward our, our purpose, Brian. Um, first, a question for you. What, what, what would you say your role is in the development of law and aesthetics? Uh, bomb thrower. Law and aesthetics. Does that does that ring a bell? Do, do you uh, view yourself as, as as playing a role in the, the, the development of that? I mean, maybe. I mean, I'm one thing I've been working on is trying to figure out different ways of creating conceptual art in the medium of legal scholarship. So I'm, I'm trying to establish a sort of new aesthetic paradigm for looking at legal scholarship as an artistic medium as opposed to a scholarly medium. Uh, Brian, if you could open your email, do you remember in 2004, you're um, entering a contest? <laughs> I do not. I do not remember. But um, this is very interesting. Brian, on behalf of the Committee uh, for Law and Aesthetics, um, I'm here. Uh, Keenan Kamek is not with me, but he is the other person behind the scenes on this. And we are pleased to, to uh, award you with the prize uh, that you won uh, with your 2004 entry to the Law and Aesthetics Creative Writing Contest. Oh my goodness! I I I, I believe I I may recall having uh, discussed this. Oh my, this does look familiar. 
<laughs> oh my goodness, I love it. Now we, the committee, are um, slightly embarrassed by, uh, due to various factors, our failure to grant this award in a more timely fashion. Uh, but we are pleased to, to to remedy that now. So what we've done. So the prize money was one hundred fifty dollars. Um, uh, which we will make good on. Now, what we've done is, is we have uh, awarded and even sent to you uh, an NFT uh, m- noting your role and your prize. Um, and uh, it's actually been sent to you via your, 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 your Twitter address. Now, here's, here's the deal on that. That NFT, as we can both imagine, is worth well over $10,000. So we can use this as an example here uh, to raise questions about the enforcement of 6050i um, as to whether, you know, when and how you receive that valuable NFT and how we might value it. But um, in any case, I, I offered to purchase it back from you for the $150 plus inflation, which comes out to $217, um, or you may keep it. I'm definitely keeping it. This, this, I, I think this NFT has a very strong future market. I'm bullish on this NFT. So what I've done is, is, is that one's already been sent to your Twitter address. You need to go into that uh, Kukai wallet. This is uh, NFT is on the Tezos chain, um, and then and then I've created ten further NFTs in a different series using the same image, um, and, and we can discuss you know offline or in the future what we might. Uh, choose to do uh, to, to recognize others uh, who are foundational to the to the development of law and aesthetics, which you certainly have been, and and your essay was the best. And now here's the other thing: we we've lost the essay. This your 2012. <laughs> it, 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 it's gone. So if you can't find it, what your your winning entry, um, then we'll it'll just have to be recreated uh, anew. I will. I will absolutely recreate it anew. I'm going to have to look and see if I can find it. I probably submitted it in a, in a, <laughs> after, after having several drinks late one night. Uh, that, that tends to be my, uh, my preferred mode of uh, engaging in law and aesthetic creative activity. So, uh, no, no, Keenan and I were only 80% sure that we never told you that because we did this contest anonymously. This is my coming out as well on this. Um, I think we never told you because we were embarrassed and we're like, oh, we're going to wait for more entries and like, oh, wait, we got to do this. We ne- I don't think we ever told you that we were behind it. No, you never did. <laughs> <laughs> but I do remember seeing it. I can't remember where I saw it, but I do, I do remember it. And you entered. I know that. I have records of that. Well, I always, I always enter. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't enter, you can't win. So um, we can also talk about the metaphysics of NFTs here for just a second. So yours, um, uh, is the Lawn Aesthetics Prize. It's uh, object number 477789 on, on Hicket Nunc. Um, and as, as the description explains, possession hereof recognizes the founder of Lawn Aesthetics. So um, at least once you claim that using the link I provided, um, that NFT evidence is evidence of your founder role. All right. I think I have claimed it. Have I claimed it properly? I think I have. I don't know. I, I actually haven't done that through, through Twitter, but it looks like a cool way to open a wallet. Yeah, this is amazing. I love it. Well, I'm gonna, I, w- after we're done with the interview, I'm going to have to explore uh, the, the, this new platform and how it works and how the wallet works. But thank you so much. I'm so thrilled um, to be the first recipient of the Lawn Aesthetics Prize. It really made my day. Was it 17 years in the waiting? Well worth the wait. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Amazing. So, so how about it? Like we've just engaged in an NFT transaction here. How does this proposed provision affect me, if at all? 
So, okay, if this law were in effect, we'd have to ask, when did you receive it? Did you receive it? Now, is, is the Secretary of the Treasury going to try and issue regulations that kind of address this issue of me sending you an NFT? When did you receive it without your knowledge? Maybe you don't want it. How would you deal with evaluation questions? I'm tr- I, I don't have answers to this because it's, 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 it's nonsensical. And that, again, gets to why maybe this was overlooked. The statute has to do with physical cash. It also covers foreign currency. So there's a valuation issue in that case, slightly, right? Oh, I got 9,000 euros. Do I have to report this? Um, but by expanding this to digital assets, that's just one thing which be- raises impossible questions. Now, how, how will it be um, uh, imposed? I mean, looking at this, you know, realistically, if you're if you are a uh, in the trader business of making and selling NFTs, and you sell them and you receive uh, cryptocurrency for them, um, that this requirement is incompatible with the, the methods now used with smart contracts. Right? You go onto OpenSea, you you uh, as a, a buyer sends some fungible token into a smart contract. Uh, that smart contract releases back to that purchaser an NFT, which if they're receiving it in the course of their trader business, again, triggers the reporting obligation in both directions. Um, then the maker uh, receives uh, some of that cryptocurrency at the other end, the, the platform itself, maybe the, the IP owner as well. Um, and that's not set up to, to allow kind of uh, the enforcement of the uh, verification and data collection requirements, leaving aside what happens to, you know, an NFT creator who's, suddenly in the business of recording uh, your and other social security numbers, private information. At the end of the year, they have to send a statement to everybody uh, whom they have reported this way. They need to keep those forms for five years. Um, uh, so, so all, yeah, all of these questions arise. And, 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 and uh, it, it, as I've mentioned, it's important to see how the, the, the reporting obligation rests on the recipient of the digital assets. So that could be in both directions. If, if, it's, if it's a crypto for crypto or crypto for NFT uh, transaction, um, and it's their duty to, to, to file this report. And, uh, but the, the, there are also felony crimes created here for the people involved in the payment side um, because the statute is also clear that uh, doing anything to interfere with the recipient making that report correctly uh, can be a felony uh, again for five years. So if you refuse uh, to provide the information required by a recipient for them to lawfully complete their duty to to file this information, that also can be a felony. And I think I, I, we should mention that there is a threshold, which is another reason why people think, oh, maybe this isn't a big deal. And the threshold is $10,000 in value uh, in a single transaction. But the transaction means uh, related transactions. It means any receipts within 24 hours from the same person under the current regulations. And it means payments on, on, on one contract, right? So, so if I lend you $50,000 in crypto, um, as I receive the payments for you, those all count as one transaction. And indeed, the way it works now, as soon as that triggers $10,000, I need to file the report right now under, within 15 days. And then once it adds up to $10,000 again, I'd have to file another one. So there is a $10,000 threshold, but it's important to see how with crypto, um, it's much broader than that. And and it also means if you're a business, any receipt might end up being reportable because what if there's follow on receipts from the same person? Would it work retroactively? Like I'm thinking in the case of an NFT, like the one that I just got, mm-hmm. imagine I receive it from someone as a transfer with, with no 
uh, cryptocurrency changing hands at all beyond the transaction fee. Um, and then subsequently, somebody offers to purchase it from me for the equivalent of more than $10,000. Does that like create a retroactive reporting requirement? Like what would I do then? I, I don't know. But yeah, and that's that's right. So like I, uh, as a part of giving this to you, I offered to buy it back. Now, I didn't offer you $10,000 for it. I offered you $217. Um, but yeah, is that does that establish its market value? It's not, it's not just a market value. It's an offer on the table. Well, but then, then that would mean, you know, anybody offers something, you know, you can get an unsolicited offer on, on anything. That's normal. Um, how, how would that work? So, so this is obviously something that the Treasury Department would have to back off on. How they'll do it or how they would do it if this actually goes through is, I, 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 I don't know. So at this point, you know, you've been kind of talking very publicly about this problem and engaging in advocacy with respect to it. Have you gotten any kind of response either from Congress or from the government or kind of more broadly from the sort of crypto policy community? Like how have people reacted to your sort of advocacy in this area? Um, I think it, it, it is catching on um, and almost without exception, people who I mean, it's just such a complicated issue. One thing we haven't gotten into is how this inter interacts with Bank Secrecy Act regulations, which make it kind of more complicated and also show the bigger picture of how this serves to entrench the ex- kind of status quo model of financial institutions. Because what it's trying to do, you know, the 1984 statute was there to discourage the use of cash, to encourage the use of banking and financial institutions for large transactions, which are more amenable to the type of surveillance and observation and control that the the Treasury Department relies on for criminal enforcement, tax, and as well as other crimes. So it's designed to discourage that transaction. So even without knowing what's going through the minds of the sponsors here, yes, this is designed to discourage. It's uh, uh, the use of these assets because um, it is less amenable to, to surveillance and observation. Um, anyway, so that, that, that was a tangent, but on the, the question of it picking, getting picked up, one, it's, it's just very complicated and, and certainly with a lack of any explanation from its sponsors that made it even harder to, to get our heads around it. Yes, it, it is catching on. Um, uh, you know, we're waiting to see if the House votes on this. I'm still optimistic. Hey, until the House has voted on this, there's time for uh, people to appreciate it. Um, and, and now I am in touch with, with some on Capitol Hill. Um, uh, several congressmen have spoken publicly about this. Um, we're hoping for more, um, and it's slowly getting out there. But I guess it's just too—I don't know. It's 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 complicated. We do have um, uh, one thing we haven't gotten into is kind of the legality of this. Uh, there's very serious Fourth Amendment concerns on, on our, uh, our privacy interests and rights at stake here. Um, uh, so it's very important to have the support of, uh, the coin center, which is a leader on particularly the legal analysis of, of, of these things. And as more people become aware, uh, more and more are, you know, t- taking note, but I think, uh, it, it, it needs a lot more public attention. So in closing, Abe, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about other projects you're engaged in that you'd like listeners to know about. Um, well, I'll give a teaser for the underlying stuff, uh, kind of the more in a sense, boring, but uh, important for the future of uh, decentralized networks is the substantive taxation. Um, 
you know, there's so many fun, uh, fun and awful issues out there with regard to uh, regulatory response and the overlapping jurisdiction on these issues, SEC and CFTC. Um, my interest in tax didn't arise from an interest in tax, but rather just an interest in the, this um, technology, but um, how uh, these new tokens are taxed and that they're taxed based on a correct understanding of the economics and also the mechanics of how Bitcoin or Tezos or proof of stake in particular networks work uh, is really important. So that, that, that didn't give too much detail, but um, uh, beyond that, I'm interested in, in uh, 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 Thinking about NFTs, it's, it's, it's relatively new to me. I'm digging in. I think it's an important use case for, for sounding the alarm for 6050i and how it might be uh, interpreted. And on a more uh, legal and aesthetic level, I'm interested in what we do and what these NFTs are and what we can do with them, um, which is why I'm interested in uh, your, your own investigations and, and continuing these conversations. Uh, it, it, it's... Uh, I don't know. There's, 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 there's new things to be figured out here, Brian. We gotta, we gotta figure, figure some of these things out. Couldn't agree more. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show, Abe. I really appreciated hearing from you and uh, highlighting this really important tax-based issue that could be affecting the entire market. Excellent, Brian, and congratulations to you on your belated award. Today, I'm only one of millions more whose income never was taxed before. A tax I'm very glad to pay. I'm squared up with the USA. You see those bombers in the sky. Rockefeller helped to build them, so did I. I paid my income tax today. I paid my income tax today. I'm only one of millions more whose income never was taxed before. The tax I'm very glad to pay. I'm squared up with the USA. You see those bombers in the sky. Rockefeller helped to build and so did I. I paid my income tax Today, I'm only one of millions more whose income never was taxed before. A tax I'm very glad to pay. 
I'm squared up with the USA. You see those bombers in the sky. Rockefeller helped to build them, so did I. I paid my income tax today.